Hello, my guest today is David Acker, who has been described as the father of modern branding. David has authored hundreds of articles and written at least 16 books on branding, as well as being Professor Emeritus at the Haas School of Business at the University of California, Berkeley. David is vice chair at Profit, which is a global growth consultancy. He is a sought after speaker and true thought leader in the branding space. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, the sound is great. Oh, good. I'm always surprised when it works. Great. Well, I've just briefly introduced you, David. So I'm is going that? to. I've briefly introduced you um, oh. on the podcast. It's not live. We're going to be editing this later. And I'm going to ask um, you to say something about yourself, what's currently occupying you. Okay. Okay. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. Is, okay, great. And then we can launch into discussion about branding and IP, if that's okay. Okay. Great. So, um, welcome to the Brandtune podcast, David. I'm delighted to have you here today. Tell us a bit more about what you do and what's currently occupying you. I see. Well, I'm. Uh, I kind of look through things through a brand perspective. I got into brand equity, uh, gosh, 25, 30 years ago now, and. Uh, when I was uh, interested in strategy and came to the belief that people need to build assets instead of being focused on short-term financials. And I decided that uh, if I was going to participate, the uh, brand equity is sort of my uh, niche. And uh, so I wrote a book uh, in which I defined it called uh, Managing Brand Equity and another on how to manage it called Building Strong Brands. And since then, I've written four or five more books, and uh, um, it got to be so many books, I wrote a book called Acheron Branding that sort of summarized everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, since then, I've gotten interested in the, the power of stories, so I wrote a book, Creating Signature Stories. And then I uh, tried to take a branding view of uh, disruptive innovation and what a brand brings to the party, and I wrote a book called Owning Game-Changing Subcategories. And now I'm working on a book uh, about how what branding, how branding can help firms that want to develop uh, social programs. Okay, that's interesting. So I was, um, I've been writing about intellectual property and the fact that it's not really taken into account by a lot of people I come across in the branding industry, which may be the smaller business end of the market. Um, for nearly 10 years, and it's only recently occurred to me that there is no training provided for marketers and business um, MBA students in intellectual property. Is that the same in the US? Yeah, I, that's one of my blind spots. Uh, I have developed several models or ideas, and I've never registered their trademarks, and I've been completely derelict. And I've had really nobody to tell me that until you came along. Um, but uh, um, yeah, and, and my book is copyrighted because of the uh, and articles because of the uh, the publisher and so on. But 
um, yeah, I just just uh, uh, have really a blind spot in that area, and and I think you're absolutely correct that it needs to be um, it needs to have more focus, more expertise. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just wondering why it's not included in the training programs, like especially for brand managers. If well, it's because I think it's because people like me that are are doing the uh, the uh, you know intellectual uh, sort of work uh, don't have any background in it, and uh, so it, it's sort of a chicken and egg thing. If, if we don't have any background we don't even recognize it's a problem or a need. Right, and does profit create brands for people, your, your agency, do they create brands? What sort of work do they do for clients? Uh, well, brand strategy uh, and, and sort of uh, building brand equity is, um, is sort of our core uh, offering and that's sort of our legacy offering. That's how we are, are got to be known. We now do, we now do design. We do uh, naming, but uh, we also do uh, helping people do digital transformations, helping them understand the uh, uh, change, how to change their culture. Um, we do uh, analytical things. We do customer experience, and so we. Uh, we now do uh, quite a broad uh, set of offerings, but it's still maybe brand strategies at the core of a third or a half of what we do. Okay, so when a name is being proposed for a client, are you aware what sort of checks are made or whether you involve lawyers in the process? <clears throat> yeah, we, well, we have a naming group within our company and, um, and I don't get involved in that, but there's no way that you can avoid uh, the legal aspect of naming, which is, of course, you know, pretty complicated since most of the brands need to have a global yeah. uh, brand and they need to own it globally. Are you aware whether they um, have lawyers on their team or whether they outsource how they work with lawyers? At no, all? I, I don't know how they do it, but there's no there's no question that that's one area in which the uh, the legal side is is, uh, is is known by everybody to be needed. Yeah, um, I guess what I notice is that often brands are not created using symbols and characters. Maybe there's a little fear in the industry that there will be some sort of infringement problems, maybe because people don't know how to search and you know do due diligence they're just aware there might be a problem i don't know that's what i yeah, I, I don't know either we have a design team of 30 or 40 people and and a naming team of half a dozen and i don't know what i have not ever been involved in what they do but i'm yeah. um, i wouldn't be surprised if they they're a little more knowledgeable than i Okay, so if if I wanted to try and get MBA schools to take IP on board, who who is the person who's creating the curriculum? I mean, well, that's the problem. There is nobody. Mm -hmm. Well, nobody's creating the curricula. 
Well, not of not of IP, uh, not of the legal side of IP ownership. Yeah, well, this is why I've written this book, and I hope to, you know, send it to MBA schools and try to raise awareness that it's really important when you're creating a brand to be aware of the IP dimension, because even though marketers, designers are not going to be expected to deal with with the IP themselves, you need to know what you don't know um, and when you need to bring others in. It's not just clearing names or, you know, there's all sorts of ways in which IP can cause problems on, with identifiers that are chosen. Uh, I, I think if, um, I'll give you some free advice, which is sure. probably not worth much, <laughs> but putting a book out there is not gonna do it. Yeah, uh, well, I, but you I, have to. What do what I do? What should I do instead? You need to have some vivid stories about disasters where people have uh, failed to do their legal homework and they and it's resulted in disaster. You need about six or seven of those, and then you have a, have to get a um, you know a way to get them uh, out there, and uh, so. <laughs> With with all due modesty, I recommend my book, Creating Signature Stories, because okay. I think what you need is is uh, signature stories. A, a book is a good uh, place to establish credibility and provide a place for people to go for more information, but it's not going to change anything. Yeah, I have got a number of stories I could share, and I have created videos on it because but I don't want to be seen as somebody always talking about disasters, really, because it, but you think it's important to. Yeah. I think that's the only way. I, I think that the book is not gonna do it. Uh, uh, so I've written books that didn't do it. So I'm a, okay. I have yeah, some background. Have lots, you? You, uh, people, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, a book can again establish credibility for yourself and for the uh, your ideas, yeah. and uh, and so when you when you have a platform, it, it they you won't be as easily ignored. But you you need stories, I think. Okay, well, I will be sure to get that book. So you create stories and you share them on video. Well, the, there's you have to find the stories. And, yeah, then to, uh, <laughs> and then you have to, and then you have to present them in a professional way, and it might be on video, it might be on articles, and then the third step is you have to get them in front of people's eyes, yeah. and that's a, a, a big communication problem. Yeah. And so you have to find a vehicle, you have to find a, a way to break through the clutter the information overload and so on, and, and yeah. make sure that it gets out there. Well, one story which is out there is Tesco, for example, they paid quite a big agency to come up with a name for their loyalty program. And the name chosen was Club Card. Um, they spent at least a million uh, raising awareness around Club Card, but they haven't been able to register that as a trademark it can't function as a trademark, it's too descriptive. And when that happens, it means that everyone else can begin using club card and they can therefore 
benefit from the advertising that Tesco put into it. You know, can they, uh, can't they own the name Tesco Club Card? They can, and that's what they've had to do. But the problem is that they were trying to create a unique name for their loyalty program. But in the process, all they did, because they didn't find a unique name, they found a name that everyone else is using and benefiting from. So they raised the profile of loyalty programs by spending so much money on uh, promoting club card when it's basically promoting something generic that other people can have, which is, you know, there are subtleties like that around IP, which makes it difficult to actually explain why this is a disaster, you know, that you have a name that you can't uniquely own is actually such a waste of resources that went into creating that name if they'd come up with something like i don't know um a totally unique name that they could own straight away then all that advertising promotion that went into their campaigns would be uniquely um would belong to them and therefore their loyalty card would be more well known than you know, then other people, other people would have had to start calling their loyalty cards by some other name, plus loyalty card, they couldn't have benefited from Tesco making people aware that, you know, loyalty cards are a good thing, for example. So there's quite a loss for an organisation that can't register a trademark for as a unique identifier and this happens all the time with other elements as well like if coca-cola had just created a unique bottle but not bothered to protect it in the right ways they just wouldn't have had unique use of that coca-cola bottle other competitors would have been able to use the same bottle shape which would have then meant that they wouldn't get so much value from it, you know. So it's really part and parcel of what you create is to protect, really. So the brand equity, uh, tell me a bit more about how you work with brand equity. Uh, well, brand equity is, is I, I, uh... So I defined it is it consists of three things. One is the visibility and credibility of the brand. Mm -hmm. And that is, do you, do you think of it when you want to uh, consider what brand to buy? Do you think that it's uh, not only comes to mind, but you think in your mind that, yeah, that could work. And uh, it, it could be a one you'd consider. The second thing is the brand image. And that has uh, got, uh, all the things that come into how you perceive the brand. It's uh, maybe the organizational values, the brand personality, the brand attributes, the brand benefits, uh, how it's used, the kinds of people that use it, the um, uh, whether uh, it's, uh, uh, if you are sort of inspired by it, uh, are you impressed by it, do you respect it? 
that all is part of the brand image. And the third thing is the brand loyalty. And that is uh, how many uh, people are, are really part of the, the brand community is, are they, uh, they really have a, literally they'll always buy it, they'll talk to other people about it and, and they'll share information about it. And uh, uh, so uh, if, if you have a core loyal group, that's really an important part of the equity of a brand. Yeah, so obviously copying is a big problem because if you develop a positioning and competitors begin to offer the same uh, benefits as, as you offer, then maybe you just have a point of parity after a while and there's nothing unique in your positioning. So well, I talk about uh, in my... Um, my disruptive innovation book, Only in Game Changing and Subcategories, I talk about the role of the brand. And one of the roles of the brand is to build barriers yeah. uh, to uh, competition to prevent just what you're talking about. And there's different kinds of variables. Uh, I mean, just getting a loyal customer base is a huge barrier because they're not gonna be uh, tempted by somebody that pretends to duplicate what you do, e even whether they do or whether they don't. And uh, a second thing is that you can just continually innovate so that you're always a moving target. And uh, it's pretty hard for somebody then to say, okay, you want a, uh, a Prius-like car? Well, we're making one. And, and, Prius, in, and Prius and their informed consumers will know, well, yeah, that's what we, they made two years ago, but that's not what they're making now. Uh, the third, another thing you can do is to uh, uh, brand the innovation. And so if you, uh, um, a, um, a hotel chain had something called a heavenly bed. And, uh, and so people rushed to copy it, although other hotels copied it, but there's only one heavenly bed because they own that brand. Yeah, you see, that's where intellectual property comes in because it does create barriers to entry through the name. Um, whatever People can't say we've got heavenly-like beds. They, they have to find other names. Yes. So it protects the, the brand. And that's right. So that, that's uh, what you have then is two levels of branding. You have the brand itself, mm. uh, the name of the hotel, and then you have a branded uh, feature, yeah, and uh, and and like uh, the the retailer Uniqlo has something called heat tech, which is a kind of fabric that keeps in the heat. They also have something called Arism, which is fabric that breathes and makes it you cool in the summertime. And and they uh, uh, you know they own those names, and they and so again, all these retailers are trying to copy those qualities, but they, they don't, they can't access the brand name. They can't call it Arism. They can't call it Hita. And it's possible they also have patents if, if it's a particular type of fabric. fabric. So I'm curious. Well, that they, they, they developed this, well, they may have patents, I don't know, but they, they, uh, they have, have partners in the industry that develop these that might own the patent but they own uh, their use of it. And uh, 
So I don't know about the, whether they own the patents or not. They might or might not, yeah. but they do own the, the branded feature. Yeah. So you say that you're not very um, alive to IP in terms of because it hasn't been something that you've considered. No, um, well, I, what I said was I, that I'm not very attuned to the legal side of it. Hmm. So you, you know the importance. I'm very much involved with IP. You're involved with, um, so you would be able to choose a name that you know is likely to function as a trademark. Is well, IP is the ideas that you're trying to put a name on. It's not just the name. No, no, it's copyright, it's patents, it's designs. Well, I'm talking about substance. I'm talking about, you know, what, what my model of brand equity is what my model of developing brand equity is and uh yeah and and that uh they that they both have names but uh um anyway it's a lot more than a name sure yes i mean like a lot of what you said around image can be protected but some of elements can't be or loyalty some aspects of loyalty can't be protected but some would be like if you've got a special site where consumers can discuss what whatever it is that the brand offers, then that site is going to be unique to the brand and others would have to copy. They wouldn't be able to use that site. So there are ways in which IP, I think that might be the problem, actually, the definition of IP people have different perceptions of what IP actually means. There's IP like your knowledge and expertise, but in terms of legally, it's really about, for brands, it's trademarks are the most important IP. And whether or not you can trademark something is matters a lot for brands. So, you know, a brand like um, Adidas, for example, they start out with their logo, which is very distinctive. They can register that as a trademark, but then they want to have the stripes and they want to have a monopoly over use of stripes in a particular location of the shoe. So it can be more and more challenging, but a lot of brands who are very successful manage to get a quite a big monopoly over their brand elements like that so even the color has been trademarked hasn't it yeah color is very difficult to trademark but you know for those who succeed that's you know again you've got to choose the color carefully because if you choose an industry color that's not going to be distinctive you're never going to be able to trademark that color for your brand because it's rather like using a generic name. You know, the law basically will only grant a monopoly right over elements that other traders in, in that space don't need to use. So using an industry term or an industry color, it's, it's just the wrong approach to trademarks and choosing names you know people often want to describe what it is that their products or services offer but that's really the wrong approach from a trademark perspective you know a bit like club card
But I'd love to know how it happens for an agency which has, you know, someone like Tesco as a client to end up choosing a name that can't function as a trademark. I guess I ought to approach them and ask them how that happened. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure that um, uh, whoever did the naming for Tesco probably has a legal assistance. And, uh, and maybe they thought Club Card was such a strong descriptive name that they would uh, go with Tesco Club Card, which probably is protected. And well, they and, tried hard to register Club Card on it. Oh, did they? Yeah, and they didn't succeed. So now it's gone to Tesco Club Card. I don't know. My well, I think another example is Apple iPhone. Wasn't that uh, owned by somebody else? iPhone, it might have been, but when you basically brands that have a lot of money can buy out other people's rights. You know. um, I think that Steve Jobs actually uh, introduced iPhone without having the rights. And he, he just, um, I suppose he relied on all that money that he could somehow steamroll over the opposition, but yeah, uh, I think he introduced iPhone without having the rights to it. Right. Well, it happens quite a lot in my experience. There's a there isn't always communication between different departments, and things don't happen in the way they should ideally happen. Well, he didn't do it because he didn't know he he did it deliberately, knowingly. Oh, what? Well, because he, was, he knew someone else he, had the right. Yes, he did, and he. Uh, decided he would do it anyway. Uh, I guess gambling that he could end up either winning the legal fight or buying them out. Yeah, that's often a good strategy as long as you're aware of what it is you're doing, and you know that can be your strategy that you will litigate, you will buy someone's rights out. It's very difficult to actually find names that are available, and there's always a risk element. So. I think, but you know, he had the iPod and he had the iPad, mm -hmm. and he thought that the iPhone was so important that he would take undertake yeah. uh, whatever risks were involved. And and of course, he's a pretty confident guy. He was. He's passed yeah. away. Yeah, he was a brilliant marketer. Yeah. So good. Okay. Well. Thank you very much indeed for appearing on the podcast. Can you give me an example of any brand names that you think are really good, have been well chosen? Oh, that's a good question. I've not, not uh, um, thought about that. I tell you one thing hmm. that uh, my my theory on names is that at the outset you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice as to whether you want a name that will describe what you do, because if you don't, that becomes a big communication problem. The name kind of gets in the way. Or you have to decide a, a name that's completely general. And, and that allows you to the, the flexibility to strategically do anything you want. And my favorite example is Amazon. When Amazon came out, people were thought, Boy, if this company ought to be called books.com, mm. 
because then they would have a home run. They would, they would be able to dominate the whole space they're in, which was books. Instead, they called it Amazon. Well, that made the, uh, the initial uh, business entree very difficult. I mean, Amazon's got nothing to do with books, and they're trying to say, this is where you go to buy books. Amazon is a huge river in, in South America, and uh, it's, it's, it's the most powerful river in the world, and it has tributaries everywhere. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and Jeff Bezos was, was uh, a, you know, had a long-term vision that he wanted to sell everything. And he didn't want to call it books.com. So he called I it think, Amazon. I think even if he had wanted to just sell books, it would have been a very bad option from an intellectual property point of view to go with. Well, that was his business. For a long time, his business was selling books. That was it. Yeah, but Amazon, you see, he trademarked that straight away because it's, it's the only way to have customers who are looking for you to find only you. As soon as you use names like books, you know, you, you have so much competition because other people will have sites like Books Co UK or, or Books, whatever, but, you know, no, you can't- I, I disagree. I, I disagree. If you wanted to make a name yourself as the e-commerce bookseller, there's nothing better than books.com, nothing. And, and uh, that would give you a big advantage. But my, my more general point, point of view, from my general point is that that this appears in almost every starting business. Every starting business has a choice. They can use a name that will represent what they're then doing, mm. or they can represent a name that's more general and and has, doesn't mean really anything. And yeah. and that's your, everybody has that choice: Books.com or Amazon. And you can make an argument for both ways. I don't think from an IP point of view, you can actually. So many of these businesses that use names like pets.com, you know, they raised loads of money and they went bust because you, you can't get all the business that's destined for you when you're using a generic name. You know, therefore it's like having a colander instead of a container of the brand value you know this is why ip is so important and you well, i disagree with you i think that if you want to start out a business and you're selling pets over the internet with e-commerce there is no better name than pets.com now there's a lot of reasons pets.com failed and it's not because of the name i don't think oh, well there's a really good book um the 22 immutable laws of the internet i think it is by the people who wrote positioning. Um, well, I, I disagree with their fundamental premise. Their fundamental premise is you should never extend your brand. And that's just doesn't make any sense. I, I once was, a, I, yeah, I know both uh, of the Rees and uh, they're wonderful people and they made great contribution to branding, but I think they've made a big mistake in their fundamental belief that you shouldn't extend the brand, that you should keep the brand within the confines of where it started. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, that I, I once asked them, would you call, if you were starting uh, a theme park in the 50s and you were Disney, would you call it Disneyland? And they said, no, 
because Disneyland meant cartoon movies. They wouldn't call it uh, Disneyland. That's just crazy. Yeah, but if I want, wanted to be known as IP lawyer, for example, and I got IPlawyer.com, I would just get lost in a sea of um, sameness because you can't uniquely own something like IP.com. That's why a name like Clubcard was such a problem and Books.com would have been the wrong strategy. Is I, I know from an IP point well, of view. Well, if you own pets.com, nobody else can own pets.com because you go you own the URL. Yeah, but it's not just about the URL. There's business out there apart from you know online. And hotels.com tried to register hotels.com as a trademark. They haven't managed to because it's really important to have a unique ability to use your identifiers. So when you've got a name that can't uniquely belong to you, I mean, yes, maybe you have uh, hotels.com, but you can't uniquely own hotels.com in terms of offline. Other people could say, we are hotels.com, you know, and you can't stop them. Well, if they would do, they would be shooting themselves in the foot if they did that, because if the people that they uh, convinced would say, well, I'm I'm really interested in this outfit, I'm going to go to hotels.com. And they yeah, would reach people don't their competitor. like that anymore for, for things, you know, often people will be given a URL that they can just click to and go to and it might change when you get to the site it might no longer be called the domain name that you had put as the url so you could still pretend that you're hotels.com but when people click it will actually go to something else and they probably will well, I, I i don't think i can argue with you on the legal side because i don't know anything about the legal side and you do but i can say uh, from a branding naming point of view there uh there's when you start a company, you do have to make a choice. If you want a, a name that helps you describe what you do, or if you want a name that allow you to the flexibility to go in a whole bunch of different directions. Yeah, well, my advice to people is usually when they're trialing the concept to use a descriptive name, because you don't then come up against the problem of trademarks. You can have books.com as your domain and traderbooks.com. But a time comes once you've proven the concept when you need a brand name. And so you would just redirect your books.com to Amazon, say, if they'd started out as books.com. It's fine as a starting point, but it should never be the ultimate where you end up because you can't have a unique brand. So you just change to have a brand at some point is whether- Changing a brand is very, very difficult. Yeah, which is okay in the early days when it's just generic. When you use books.com and you trial your concept and you see it works, then you can become amazon.com and you still- yeah, That's own very it. hard. It's very hard to change from books.com to Amazon. If very you become hard. very well known, yes. So well, that's the whole point. If you don't become very well known, you're probably not going to be successful. 
Well, you can still see whether it will take off or not. I think there are signs, you know, within three, four months that. But if it takes off, then you're stuck with that name. You you can't. No, you can still use it. You could still say um, because people could still go to you as books.com, but they would arrive at a site that has a name, and gradually get to know the true name of it. It's like calling a dog dog. If you get a dog, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't advise anybody to go into something with the idea that when you get successful, you're going to have to change your name. Well, then I think they shouldn't start with a generic name because that really limits the potential of a business. You, well, it's not so matter. It's is it generic or not? I mean, test.com is a is a. But you can have a game that a name that suggests pet pet stuff or pet yeah, food if, or if it's pets are us that that's a trademarkable name like toys are us that's a really good name it's just not if you want to become amazon um no if if your long-term aspiration is to sell everything then obviously it shouldn't be books are us it would have to be something else uh, it, it's not strategically not obvious because yeah. you if you call it Amazon, you might never get started. Yeah, but I think a it's still easier to be Amazon than Google or, you know, a totally made up name, because at least it suggests something, you know, people are familiar with the name, whereas a totally made up name is even more difficult. You've got to put more advertising spend into it. I agree with that. Yeah. Good. Well, it's been really great talking to you, David. How okay, thanks. Well, I've been uh, uh, glad to be introduced into the uh, to the road, you know, your world of trademarks and and so on. I have to. Uh, uh, I've learned something. Yeah, I've learned something as well. That you know, I'm really surprised that somebody such as yourself, who knows so much about branding would think that um, a descriptive name is a good choice. So I've learned from that too. That's not what I said. <laughs> no? No. I said you have to make a trade-off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As to whether you want it easier for admin. Yeah. If, if you're going to, it's going to be better if you're going to stick to that area forever. Mm. And uh, it's going to be more difficult, but better long-term if you're, if you plan to expand your scope. Yeah, which means you really need to have an idea of your long-term strategy and, you know, what you want to achieve for the business. Great. Okay. Well, where, how can people get in touch with you if they want to contact well, my, you? Uh, you can reach my blog at davidocker.com okay. or on Branding actually is probably better. If you just Google on Branding, you'll go to the... Uh, um my blogs and okay. you can see what i've written great lovely to meet you thank you very much for appearing on the podcast okay my pleasure bye